welcome to Opera Omnia. This is season one. That's right. Don't don't worry. Don't worry. You have not pressed the wrong button. This is season one, episode number nine. That's right. This is a little appendix that we're adding in on top of what we did, which was an addendum before. So it's all the A-words. That's what we're going for. Alliteration <laughs> is king in this recording. Um, returning to the show is the resident season one guest host. It's my distinct privilege and pleasure and honour to welcome back a guy who I've missed. It, it does feel like since we kind of closed doors and um, brought down the shutter on season one that a, a small part of me has been missing. And um, I'm just saying, reunited and it feels so good. Uh, I'm joined yeah. by Mr. Watts. How's it going, buddy? Oh, man, Mr. McLeish, my friend. It is always, always a good day when we find ourselves joining forces to share the mic. I, buddy, I'm looking forward to discussing this film and getting to this, yes, this appendix to season one of Opera Omnia, putting that out into the world. This is going to be great, man. Yeah, like, we, like, kind of were like, oh, it'll be interesting to see what Ben Wheatley does in the future. And then within, I don't know, like, <laughs> within about two weeks of, like, doing that addendum, and putting that to bed it was like oh Netflix announces that Rebecca will be released end mm-hmm. of September and then within a week of that coming out all the Wheatley news dropped so we were talking about this just off air we should probably address it right now Ben Wheatley is he's big time now I mean this is this is this is very bizarre. I don't know how I feel about it, but he, <laughs> he's he been tapped. I think that's the right word. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> it means something else over here. He's been tapped to uh, helm the sequel to the Meg movie, that giant Megalodon short movie with Jason Stratham. Um, so he's doing Meg 2. He is doing Tomb Raider 2. And he has, during the COVID lockdown, when everyone else was wearing their PJs all day and getting fat, he went out and shot a low budget, what I have led to believe is a eco-folk horror movie set in the woods with Rhys Shearsmith, ah. who was in Kill List. So, uh, not Kill List, um, A Field in England. So he's done that, that shot, and I believe it is being edited as we speak right now, and it will be out next year. So... There's Love a it. whole lot of Wheatley in the pipeline, which means there's going to be a whole lot of Watson coming back in Opera Omnia, which means I'm a whole lot happy right now. So <laughs> Same here. <laughs> it's weird. It's really It's one of those ones. Like it's, it's that, I can't remember what the, the term is. You'll know better than me. Um, where like a series of what are perceived as coincidences happen off the back of you doing something so like you mention a song that you've not heard for years and then you switch on the radio and it's playing or you know I've, I've, I've not seen a particular mm-hmm. brand of vehicle in a while and then you're driving along the road and then you see one um, and that's that's the, the Ben Wheatley effect right, right now for us because I questioned this project I was interested uh, Rebecca that is uh, I was interested mm-hmm. in it in that it was, you know, this was going to be released, what, um, 80 years after the Hitchcock, Rebecca, which, I mean, yeah. if you, I mean, it's so weird to be getting a remake of a movie that far removed where we live in a world where, like, they reboot Spider-Man movies after four years. <laughs> reboot! Yeah. <laughs> no time for it to settle at all. The dust has not even hit the ground yet, reboot. It's unusual to see that one. It's also unusual that this particular Hitchcock is being remade and then on top of that it's even stranger that they give it to Ben Wheatley 
because he's mm-hmm. never really done kind of period set dramas before. He's done period set horror before, but not period True. set drama before. And this was the thing that was missing from the the you know the eclectic bow of filmmaking that is Ben Wheatley. We know the guy can do horror. He's, he's proved it time and time again. We know he can do comedy because he's proved that time and time again. He can do action. He can do thriller and suspense, but he'd never done drama. Um, although you could argue, and most people would, and I would take it on the chin to an extent that Down Terrace is essentially it's a family drama movie, but I would say it leans more on the darker, surrealist aspect, which is kind of what I thought we were going to get here. And we we're going to touch it after the break. Um, this is not a remake of... Hitchcock, Rebecca, in any way, shape, or form. This is more kind of going back to the pages of the book, but even then, it mm. you know it follows the book to an extent, but it it does the a lot of clever moves that Wheatley does, where he just like that. We don't need this level of exposition here. This can be shot in one scene, so he just shoots it in one scene, and I appreciate that quite a bit. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it's a it's a very strange one. Uh, very, very strange. I had also heard in advance this was going to be in black and white, so when oh. it arrived not in black and white, that confused me. <laughs> I was like, this is colour. Um, which, I mean, I'm not going to argue about because the, the cinematography in it is absolutely fucking stunning. Oh um, my god. So, we won't dig too much in it. So yeah, I mean, he's a busy guy. We're going to be doing a, a few of these over the next year or so where we're coming back and doing all manner of strange action movies, giant shark movies, and apparently tree-based horror movies. So I, I'm, I am in like Flynn on this one for sure. Now, I do have a question for you, my good buddy. Um, Tell it. Right. Now, how do you genuinely, as a man who has, in this year alone, in the year of 2020, which will go down the record books as... Not the year of COVID, but the year Opera Omnia returned and killed it in their first season. That's <laughs> Damn I'm, right. It's, it's in the history books. Uh, but how do you feel about someone like Ben Wheatley, who has essentially carved out a career making movies which you would argue are not necessarily studio-friendly movies, essentially now pivot into big old period drama for Netflix um, and two big old what will be assuming that cinemas <laughs> are still in existence in two years time mm-hmm. uh, two big cinema movies for massive studios one being an action movie and one being a well essentially both of them being an action movie I don't think the, the Meg was really a horror movie uh, with the fact that the giant shark um, how do you feel yeah. about that do you feel that as the kids would like to say he has quote unquote sold out or do you think actually this might be a chance for a little bit of ghost in the machine action here where uh, Wheatley goes in and just inserts himself a little bit of that weird surrealist stuff into the the Hollywood paradigm well you know as I watched this film Duncan you know we're we're here on Opera Omnia we're having a conversation about Wheatley's body of work Mm -hmm. and I do want to go out on a limb here to say that this movie, Rebecca 2020 best displays. I I feel his talents behind the camera over any of his other films and on a technical basis. So when we see these establishing shots of the ocean and the beach, when we look at all the drone camera work, the lighting color correction shot composition throughout this movie proves that Wheatley is capable of blockbuster level filmmaking. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, 
I've grown tired of all the, you know, the Marvel and DC superhero movies. But if you throw Wheatley behind the next Thor or Ant-Man, I'm watching it on day one. I just am. Yeah. Uh, Scott Derrickson, similarly, a horror director who rose up and was able to do like Doctor Strange. You know, he come, came from The Exorcism of Emily Rose 2005 mm-hmm. and was able to do these superhero movies. We saw James Gunn do the same thing. Sam and Raimi. so long. You know what I mean? Sam yeah, Sam Raimi. Raimi? Oh yeah, my goodness. Yeah. And, and, and so long as we don't see him lose the talent or the spirit yeah. of that that he's always had in even the smallest of his films i can't see how it's you know a, a bad thing for my man to be you know getting getting that paycheck now i remember critics you know you know were saying that they feel like this is simply work for hire for wheatley this rebecca project and maybe that's true you know this very well could be just not, nothing but a paycheck for him but it was the same for Hitchcock back in the day. You don't have to oh, yes. research too hard to learn that Hitch was a hired gun for 1940s Rebecca, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen. And I want to talk about that when we, you know, when we get into the film itself. But I don't look down on that. Like, does that make their talents any less admirable, any less viable? Like, what do you think, Duncan? Because if I can sit here saying that Wheatley is doing his best technical work here as a hired gun. How is that bad? <laughs> you know, what do you think about his approach here? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you on this one. I think, like, as, mm-hmm. as someone who is firmly rooted, I mean, like, my interests, specifically genre-wise, are heavily rooted in kind of late 60s, primarily 70s, and kind of into 80s Italian cinema. I, that's my, that's my mm-hmm. niche. Um, oh yeah! And all those directors, we know that about you. <laughs> all those directors are guns for hire. Like essentially, all of them are. Maybe out with someone like an Argento who really did have a a, a command over things. But mm-hmm. if you look at Bava Senior and Junior, uh, Martino, uh, Lado, Filci, mm-hmm. um, all these guys were guns for hire. That's why they would in one year do a uh, Giallo, uh, police procedural spaghetti western, and a comedy. You know what I mean? And it's not because <laughs> they were actively seeking different projects. It was because. There was a script ready, they were good to go, and they needed a director. Oh, Filchy's not doing anything this week, let's get him in. Because we know he can command a budget, he'll bring things in and he can direct. And But you can always mm. tell the the projects where the director was maybe more invested than the ones that weren't. And it's usually in those days it was like it was usually attention to things like script and dialogue and the actors mm. in general. Like when Argento specifically is switched on in a project you can tell like the acting is never of the best quality but it's of a relative high quality but the camera work is you know insane and he's doing things that you've never seen done before and I always kind of felt that if Wheatley ever made the transition because he'd been talking for a while about being courted not fully but being courted by the people um, that do the Marvel movies you know this idea that he might Mm. be brought in to do a lesser product um, oh, okay. You know, of some description, mostly off the back that he did in um, Free Fire, and uh, that that movie got him a bit of attention. The fact that it was produced by Scorsese, you know, all, all these things. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was he was on the radar, and he'd been talking about it kind of tongue in cheek for a while. That you know, the, the thing about Rebecca, and we will we will get into it. But the thing about Rebecca is, like, I don't recognise a lot of like Wheatley's storytelling in this but this is the first movie where Amy Jump isn't the scriptwriter or the story writer. Yep, I noticed that. So yeah. this is the first one. So this is him directing someone else's story and if this is like 
if this is Wheatley directing someone else's story, guess what? He's pretty fucking good at that. I mean, yeah, he is. <laughs> like the, the acting is. Uh, I don't, once again, I don't want to jump ahead, but the acting is really good. Um, like you see mm-hmm. the the set like set piece composition, the attention oh, to man. detail, color correction is about as gorgeous as you're going to see in a movie this year. It's, mm-hmm. it's got Clint Mansell back in doing the the scoring, which is lush and vibrant and and you know dark at times and all that. So if this is him like being a bit of a, a job for hire sort of guy as a director. Turns out, like everything else we've realised about Ben Whitley, he's pretty fucking good at that as well. So <laughs> it's sickening how talented he is, really. I, I, I get to the point where I'm just like, you know, just fail on something, Ben. Just like, g- give, <laughs> give us one. one. Yeah, no. yeah, just <laughs> give us something that we can sit there and go, oh, Ben, Ben, Ben. What have we got here? Because I, I like whether you. The, the, the danger is Wheatley's name is so associated with the darker kind of heart of cinema that when his name mm-hmm. was attached to the Rebecca project and I got a bit giddy about it as well the fact that it's something that you know Hitchcock had done himself and the Hitchcock one to be what when you do get a chance to watch it it's not as dark as people say it is it, there is a bit more of a kind of haunted aspect about it which is definitely mm-hmm. alluded to here but you know it's not fully embraced here it's more you know the, the, the you know the 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 kind of the death of a character loom large over mm. the people she interacted with and the house she lived in rather than you know is this house motherfucking haunted you know what I mean it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not on that level but I think that's what like if you look at the initial reviews of this movie it, it's a lot of horror sites just sticking the boot in about how this isn't a horror movie no one ever said it was going to be a horror movie like you, right. as, you assumed that because Ben Wheatley's name was attached to it, and to be honest, if you made that assumption and you made that jump, that just proves to me that you didn't check out uh, Happy New Year, Colin Burnstead. You didn't check out yep. Free Fire either. You know, because those th- his last two movies are not horror movies. Like, but any way, shape, or form, no. they they have tension in them. This movie has tension yeah. in it, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not in that way. You know, a, a, a horror movie. So I kind of felt like the initial reviews I was reading were mostly people complaining that it wasn't the movie they thought it was going to be as opposed to giving yeah. you a critique of what they actually felt of the movie and I think as a, as a habit I've done it in the past I try and avoid it as much as possible now uh, when I'm like that well this isn't <laughs> this movie isn't a horror movie and I'm like well <laughs> you know like let's let's take a second here take a deep breath you know you know is it a good movie and as you'll get in, as we'll get into the review, there's a whole lot I really like about Wheatley's Rebecca. I don't necessarily think it is a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah, he he delivers he delivers on this one. And if anything, this is him peacocking for you know for for critics particularly, but. I think for studios, there's a reason he's now getting a lot of work flung at him. Because if you watch this movie, it's who is this Ben Wheatley guy? I can't imagine that his name was like, like circling the Meg Two conversation, like before this dropped on Netflix and his name was trending because it was everywhere for like two mm. weeks. Because that's what happens when Netflix releases a movie. For that two weeks, whoever has made that movie, as uh, you know, it's it's in the popular culture and everywhere. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one. I think I th- there's a fine line between. Well, I, I think it's what what is the ter- what does selling out mean? I think if like to me, selling out has always meant when you 
um, quote unquote sell out or compromise who you are as an artist to do something that you know will make money as opposed yeah. to being given an opportunity to do something for money out with what you have been doing before which is what I see here I see this is and uh, interestingly enough in doing my research as I do um, I have a, a Mark Road, great film journalist in the UK uh, has a podcast and he did a whole 40 minute interview with Ben Wheatley speaking about this oh. movie and he basically said that his like his manager his agent the production company and all the rest they, they were having they were chatting about things and he was basically talking about how he was in between projects and it was one of those ones where the envelope slid across the table uh, we have the, these three impossible options Mr Wheatley <laughs> you know he's, he's like <laughs> he's like Rebecca as in Hitchcock's Rebecca and they're like yep no, like this, you know, it's been, it's been. Apparently, it's been a remake that's been the script has been around for a while, and Netflix are on board to do it. And you know, if you want it, it's yours. And he was like, "Wow, let's do it." And that to me is the he chose to do it. They asked him to do it, and Netflix paid for it. I ask you, which director are you if you are not? doing that you know what kind of director are you when you know you you love the original um you you have the opportunity to make it and it's you know it's going to be well financed by netflix who we know are relatively hands-off with projects you know what i mean they don't get they don't insert themselves into much of the well i actually think we should have more product placement here or that they don't do that sort of thing they really don't give a fuck that way and it's it's kind of refreshing it can also work it is to the detriment in movies in general because sometimes I'll watch them like that yeah, yeah this should this should have been cut shorter um, you know like there are bits there are bits of that in there but yeah I'm, I'm, I kind of feel like it's very easy to call someone a shill or sell out um, without actually knowing the details of how someone ends up where they are and I feel yeah. like if anything Wheatley's career all along we mentioned it we've charted it you specifically pointed out like almost in every single review well you know like he's he's clearly got more money here and look how he's used it um and yep. it's evident project to project that when he did happy new year colin bernstein it was obvious that he didn't have as much money um because we weren't we weren't dealing with the same sort of you know uh, the same scope it wasn't on the same scale this was very insular it was the book ending from Down Terrace to, to Colin Burnstead that we got but everything in between showed a clear and substantial progress um, between money yep. and the project and his directing ability so yeah I think this is just a, like I said at the beginning it's just a, another example of another genre that he can turn his hand to and he's actually really fucking good at it so yeah I, I don't know I, I, do you feel I, you must be at times as frustrated as I am uh, and the reason this is in the back of my head is I recently did an episode where I, I, I'm charting with, with some guests I'm charting the the run of A24 movies and this is you know it, mm-hmm. like A24 is a label that is primarily seen as being um, depending on whether you're a fan or not either there's really exciting time for horror cinema or if you don't like the label, 
a a company that is basically putting out movies that aren't really horror movies that are kind of quiet dramas until the last five minutes when something weird happens and you know and we're giving them all the acclaim and all the all the credit for doing those um it's a frustrating argument to have with anyone who is right right off the bat well it's an a24 movie so i know exactly what it's like it's going to be a lot of family shit and then something weird's going to happen at the end you know what i mean it's very difficult to argue that because most of the time, if you want to break down brass tacks, um, if you take out tension and atmosphere, that's pretty much what an E24 movie is. But it's the cinematography, the score, the tension in the atmosphere, mm-hmm. and the way the characters interact that usually make it uncomfortable to watch, which is paid off by that weird thing at the end. But if that doesn't work for yes. you, then... It is essentially some family bullshit with a scary ending. So, you, you know what I mean? It's, 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 you know, it's that way where you're like, how do you... It's like horror is a great it's a great community to be a part of, but like any other community of fans out there, it has its level of toxicity about it. Where, sure. and we've spoken about this before, where people will try and, you know, analyse what it is that, that makes a horror movie a horror movie as opposed to just saying if it's a horror movie to you then it's a horror movie um yeah which i think is the the whole purpose but like i feel like we ben wheatley's always been part of that equation you know there's plenty of people that just don't like kill list because kill list is a lot of a guy being confused right to the end with some pagan shit happens um mm-hmm. and it's, it's the same level so i think my, my question to you then is a counter question i love that we're asking each other questions um but my, my, counter, <laughs> my counter question to you is um how do you combat that as a as someone who is is now a, a wheatley fan how do you combat people that have now essentially written them off as what we said before? A guy who has now turned mm-hmm. his back, even though he's got a horror movie coming out, which is low budget and all the rest, which flies in the face of this argument. But how, how do you counter the, well, that's him gone. That's what, He's away doing the Hollywood movies now and, you know, he's pissing on the fans and we got him there. Look at him <laughs> right off in the sunset on his fucking... Hollywood check and how do, how do you combat that or do you or do do, do we what we do we see hmm. you know do we even engage on that conversation wow that that's a fantastic question so i'll tackle it from the perspective of somebody looking at Wheatley's body of work hmm. in that if you look as you had already said and as we have said before and as you had said i had said <laughs> like he, uh, yeah there, there we go Let, let's uh, let's you know muddy the waters here a little bit more with uh, this flowery prose no but um if from film to film wheatley would improve his skill and his production he would level up every single time and what has happened here with rebecca is he has continued to follow that trajectory Mm. it is the same you could have predicted this from movie three from movie two if he just kept up the pattern and he has which is to say that he's not really doing anything from a strict filmmaking sense anything different it would be like listening to 
you know, maybe a band you like where you're mm-hmm. like, whoa, he got he became a better singer on their second album and then he got better on their third or, or fourth. The the singer of Periphery, the, the metal band Periphery yes. does this where the first time we heard him, Spencer, he was good. And it was like, dang, this guy's a good vocalist to take over for their original. And then something happened on the next album where he just leveled up and became this God tier vocalist. You're like, yeah. what did you do between that album and this one? And he just kept getting better. The versatility, the the, just the way he could just, uh, you know, vocalize this and this and this and these different styles. And you would mm-hmm. see this steady improvement. Now we are seeing the same with Wheatley where the improvement has kept on track. Now, if this were not the case, if Rebecca came out, it's this big project and it's like, wow, he's what is the he's filming this like it were his first movie this looks sloppy then that's where you could go oh i just don't think wheatley was up to the task and Mm -hmm. in which case his detractors could say well yeah he's he's he he sold out for the money and got bland and lame but we're not seeing that here we're seeing a step up toward you know the 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 level of talent that it takes to do something like a worthwhile blockbuster film that is in itself not an easy thing to do it's easy to write off if they're vapid and visually oh, yes. stunning with no story and we you know we've all you know we've all seen those films and they're they're they can be cringy but if from on a technical level here with rebecca we're seeing just that we're seeing and i just want to key that in there one last time that his trajectory from the get-go has been steady and that's important to to look at here and that's kind of where i would want to focus that well you know is wheelie a sellout is he not well if he's getting better you know if you got the guitars the guitarist of the band who oh album one he was kind of soloing okay and all of a sudden five albums later the guy can shred like Mm -hmm. he never could back then it's like well i i sure that song's on the radio but are you hearing that shredding like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that that's kind of where i am on it it's like you might not have you, not might you definitely would have seen down terrace uh would not have seen down terrace being the the, the big netflix original but that's because he wasn't there yet he's there now and yeah. i think that's okay yeah i think you know? i think i think to just double down on your point i think um there are certain directors when given their shot rise to the occasion and bring what mm-hmm. they can to the project uh, and, uh, you know, adapt and learn new skills to take forward to the next project. And there are other ones who, you know, like, don't change. Um, and yeah. those are the ones that, on some level, I don't really want to watch. I, I want to... What's exciting about a filmmaker, especially when we're charting this guy's career, which is... At this point, what, 13, 13 years um, he's been making movies. If if he's not improving in his first 13 years of making feature films, then, you know what, that's that's not a good sign. <laughs> that's, you know, like, right? like, you should always be improving and you should always be moving forward. And I think he is a very good, clear, you know, trajectory of that. And, yeah, regardless whether you like the movie or not, it's hard to argue that isn't directed fucking great. Which brings us to our review so mm-hmm. we're going to take a short break you're going to hear the trailer for Rebecca when we come back we are discussing that movie right after this the terrace is for guests only monsieur the young lady will be joining me what have you do I'm a lady's companion Maxim de Winter his wife died last year in his entire need of company I'm Monsieur de Winter. What are you doing? Oh, you'll see. This week, I'd like to never forget it. Come to Mandalay. Come 
asking you to marry me, you little fool. Mrs. De Winter, may I present Mrs. Danvers? Welcome to Manderley. Never seen a house like this. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you'd been a lady's maid. This is all very new to me. Oh, I'm sure you won't disappoint him, madam, if that's your concern. We did a lot of entertaining when the late Mrs. De Winter was alive. You can talk to me about her. I have no secrets from you. All marriages have their secrets. Has Max ever talked to you about the accident? I don't know what you're talking about. How am I supposed to know anything if you don't tell me? She's still here. Can you feel her? I'm tossing and turning all night. Pantry. She was the love of his life. I wonder what she's thinking about you. Taking her husband. Using her name. He doesn't love you. I said I want the truth. He did. He can't go on living in that big old house with a ghost. I don't believe in ghosts. And welcome back, ladies and gents. You just heard the trailer for Rebecca. Right, this one is directed by Ben Wheatley. It's based on the screenplay by Joe Shrapnel. <laughs> Fairly sure that's not right. And Jane Goldman. Um, every time. Every time, did Honestly, it doesn't get any better. does not get... Oh, I love it. I love... I, I relish the times in every one of your shows where it's like, all right, here here, here it comes. Duncan's got to say the names. Yeah, uh, well, strap yourself in. Uh, Lily James is in this movie. Mary Collins and Dowd. Kristen Scott Thomas. Army Hammer, um, who is like, this is essentially a returning actor for him, as is, mm-hmm. what's his face? The, the young dude that I really like, who's not on the IMDb when I want to see it, because he comes in much later. And Sam Riley uh, makes an appearance back in this one, and he's been in the last three Wheatley movies now, so that's good to see. But you've also got Gene uh, Dell, Bruno Paviot, Steffo Leonard, oh dear. Tom Hudson. Right, let's keep going. <laughs> Synopsis for this movie is a, a young newlywed arrives at her husband's imposing family estate on a windswept English coast and finds herself battling the shadow of his first wife, Rebecca, whose legacy lives on in the house long after her death. So yeah, this arrived on Netflix in October... So, it, once again, didn't help that they were like, Wheatley's got a movie coming out in October for Netflix. And everyone's like, horror, horror. <laughs> like, no. You're right. It's totally not. Totally <laughs> not. Uh, this would have been much better pivoted to, like, a, like a summer movie, I, I think, personally. But, um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, this is, like we said before, it is, uh, a, it's not a remake. It's a new adaptation of the Daphne du Maurier novel, um, the previous adaptation was done by now I want to say the previous one I actually think this has been done more than just Hitchcock's there might be one in between but Hitchcock famously yes. did his adaptation in 1940 but I'm sure there's one in between yeah Duncan there was some sort of mm, like some sort of PBS I think from the 60s or, or something like that mm-hmm. some sort of like play that they had filmed or, or something like that it was kind of more it seemed more like like 
some sort of stage-ish adaptation, I guess it was. I I, I saw that yeah. as I was doing a little bit of research, yeah. Which would make sense. I mean, I, I imagine this would play equally as well as, like, a theatre production as well as a movie. I don't mm-hmm. think, you, you know, you'd have to stretch that much more at that because essentially, for the most part, it's a character piece. So um, it's a character drama more than anything. Um, IMDb lists the genres. I love these because sometimes I'm oh. like, I can't believe you made that. Uh, they have drama. It certainly is. They have mystery. Yeah, there's a bit of mystery mm-hmm. in there. And they no. have romance, which, yes, there's okay. a bit of romance in there. You know what isn't in there? Horror. Because it's not a horror right. movie, guys. Um, ain't a horror movie. And that is fine with me because this is Wheatley doing drama. This is Wheatley doing drama on a Netflix budget. So for those that don't know the story, um, essentially it charts a young kind of... I can't remember what they refer to her in the, the movie at the beginning. Ladies made? Yeah, ladies that like basically... Yeah. You, yeah, like you are... You are like partnered up, so to speak, or employed, or at the bequest or behest, sorry, of a, a you know an affluent woman who doesn't really have any family or that left, and you essentially travel with her until you find a suitor, who you then she will teach you how to be a lady, um, and you will be her flunky, and then you'll eventually find someone. Uh, and marry into their family and then you've already acquired all the skills to be a lady of the house which you know it's a difficult job someone has to do it um Mm -hmm. and that's essentially we 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 join her uh on a retreat and you know the woman she's working for is what i would call fucking obnoxious and you know Right now, you can't like the, uh, uh, the, the sort of woman who you know you smile and you nod and then you swear a lot under your breath when they walk away. Um, because she's not <laughs> nice to them. And she, while she's on her trip, she meets uh, Maxim de Winter, but you can call him Max, which I, I quite like. Uh, and yeah, Max I'll is call him Max. <laughs> you call him Max. <laughs> so, Army Hammer is so dreamy in this movie, it's ridiculous. Oh, uh, yeah, man. <laughs> Leading man all the way, folks. Yeah, like as soon as he smiles, I'm like, yes, I do. Um, I, will be Miss, <laughs> I will be Mrs. De Winter. Uh, yeah. So he's he's out traveling the world, trying to get over the death of his wife, Rebecca, who apparently was rather striking. What I love about this movie is we never really get to see her. So Yes, it's perfect it, move right there. Yeah, so it's all anecdotal of all the stories and the more you hear about her the more you you start to get to that point of there's no way she was impossibly that good looking that charming there's a sentence like I think it's with our our new sister-in-law once they get married where she's like she's like yeah uh, grandmother loved her more than anyone in the family so it was hard to compete but everyone loved her you know the servants loved her all our friends loved her all our relatives even the animals loved her and I'm like well like like, can we draw a line (laughs) you know like (laughs) Birds would sing on her shoulder. Cartoon birds yeah. would appear out of nowhere and sing on her shoulder. Um, it, it gets to the point where it, like she almost sounds like a Disney princess. Um, mm-hmm. And she dies under mysterious circumstances. That's the mystery. Yeah, she part. does. Uh, mm. And um, essentially, uh, there's a... I believe they call this a shotgun romance in the States, where everything just happens. Yeah, quick. well, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I like I've it. Heard, I've heard that term. Yeah, I, I like it because, one... Um, it indicates quick and intense, like romance. And two, because it's an American term, it has to have a gun reference in there. So I just like. Oh that. yes, yeah, it does. I'm holding my shotgun as we speak, Duncan. <laughs> I'm, I'm recording into it. <laughs> <It's> like, <Yeah. 
That's just what this movie did. But it's a sh- shotgun romance. And, um, you know, t- like when I think they get married in quick course, we're going to go back over some of these these elements that are, are, are very satisfying and at times a bit troubling. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has to move back into the family home, the Manderley. Uh, which Ooh. is this rather imposing structure, this rather huge stately home, and um, what we are told almost from the beginning is that Rebecca looms large over this property, and is this a case of a man like who is trying to fill the void of the loss of his, his love of his life by marrying someone who he might see as being beneath his station? Uh, and thus easily malleable to what he wants. Um, mm-hmm. Or, or, could this be something else? What we're going to find out, though, is from the off, um, the kind of head of the house, uh, Mrs. Danvers, which is just, it sounds like the name of, like, the, you know, uh, the head of the, the, the staff. Mrs. Danvers. Oh, yeah. Yes, hello. Um, she, she's like, she's like, what would happen if, like, Mary Poppins was written by Tim Burton? Um, uh, she's like, like a really, <laughs> really kind of prim and proper woman, but at the same time, like her, her tongue is acid. Um, oh it re- it my really God. is vicious. And from the moment they settle in there, there is a whole lot of weird things that happen. And it's kind of played off that some of these things are the effect of Rebecca looming large over the house. Um, the fact that maybe Maxim is still deeply in love and as such, you know, has these kind of uh, sleepwalking, waking dreams of his, his former wife. Or is the house haunted? Or is it something else? And then we kind of follow through from there we're going to get into a bit more of the mystery but that's your main setup here is that we have a woman who from the beginning is basically told she is operating out with her station she is not equipped to handle this household and from the moment she arrives there guess what she is out with her depth from the moment she arrives she's just not cut out yeah. for, she's not of this class um, and that's the reason Maxim loves her but it's also the reason she doubts everything about one their relationship two why she's there and then three what actually happened to Rebecca um, we've obviously talked about the amazing cinematography we're going to swing back around to that but when the movie finished what were your initial thoughts on Rebecca well you know what I took to the internets and I wanted to see what people were thinking about it because hmm. the IMDB score is pretty solid I rather liked the movie and I want to touch on something, though, that you were getting at earlier. Mm-hmm. And it it does answer your question there. But I, I need to know your thoughts on this because I, I feel like it. Well, it concerns the massive amount of complaining that I'm seeing about this movie <laughs> that revolves around this being a remake or more accurately, as you said, just, you know, another subsequent adaptation. So, mm-hmm. Duncan, I, I have to put it out there that. Alfred Hitchcock is my favorite director. Mm-hmm. I have Hitchcock-themed art hanging above my podcast desk here that a listener of mine who's an artist down in California sent to me. Very expensive piece that she just gave to me. I couldn't believe it. It hangs here. It's like my favorite. I own the OG Rebecca from 1940 that won the Academy Award. for mm-hmm. It was uh, Best Picture and Best Cinematography among 11 total nominations, by the way. That's badass. Go, Hitch. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> you know, I own. I even own the 1938 novel by... 
Daphne du Maurier, upon which these films are based. And let me tell you, you know, as I said before, I have not well, I didn't mention that I had not read the novel, but I have not seen the OG movie, surprisingly, mm-hmm. even though I own it. Now, I've been meaning to get to these for years. It just hasn't happened. So when we decided, Duncan, a few weeks ago to do this episode, I purposely did not want to ingest the book nor the original film because when it comes to film criticism, this mm-hmm. Ben Wheatley treatment is going to be the one and only iteration of that story that I touch on that is addressed to the public here on podcast and i didn't want these other versions to color my opinion of wheatley's vision now maybe i don't know somebody could argue you know watson you you know you might have been more informed as to wheatley's approach if you'd chosen to read the book and watch hitch's flick i don't know but i thought okay i I loved your hesitation i like that so but i thought it'd be more fun to take wheatley's work here as it is rather than how it measures up to these other incarnations of the story so you know, if this were what the, the them bitches in the site community call a meta analysis of the data, which it's not, then imbibing every version of the story would be the way to do this. But that's not what we're doing. Mm-hmm. This is Opera Amia, season one returning. We're here to talk Wheatley and Wheatley alone. So um, I, I feel like I'm justified in ignoring the various source material, you know. But here's what I want to get at, Duncan. I've read a number of reviews of this new movie. It's what I did. You know, movie ends. All right. You know, gave it, gave it a day or two. Hopped online. And it seemed... Maybe this is pure coincidence, and you'll know a little bit more about this than I will, but it didn't seem that a one of these reviews chose to evaluate Wheatley's film as it is. They Mm -hmm. gauge what this 2020 adaptation does in comparison to what Hitch did in 1940. And there, you know, you have Sir Lawrence Olivier, you have Joan Fontaine. Both these actors were culturally impactful in their own day, as was Mr. Hitchcock. And this leads me directly to what I want to ask you about especially when I examine these reviews that I've read and, and I'm seeing about this film that can't, you know, escape this. So what we have here in Rebecca, as you already said, is a figurative, but not literal ghost story in that there is indeed a dead woman there at the core of everything, but it's her legacy that mm-hmm. haunts the walls of Manderley rather than her actual spectral presence, right? That right yeah. there lies at the center of everything in the movie, this larger than life person who we never actually observed for ourselves. And I'm sure, you know, we're going to be talking more on that, I'm sure, as this goes. But I want to talk about the idea that Wheatley has taken on this story that the legend Sir Alfred Hitchcock already had done himself. And like I said, (laughs) no review I've read can escape that, which is peculiar to me, buddy. So in a way, Hitchcock is to Rebecca what Wheatley is to Mrs. DeWinter in that Wheatley is the second suitor (laughs) examining the story after the departure of the larger than life Hitchcock. Right. So no matter how good, but no matter how good the current Mrs. DeWinter was at anything, like we get that whole montage of her organizing that party and she's stepping up and it's like, damn girl. But Rebecca's accomplishments were always looming, casting a shadow over even the best stuff that Lily James could do. And it seems that no one's willing to, at least in what I'm reading, no one is willing to allow Wheatley's, take on this to escape comparison to Hitchcock and the large shadow he cast. And I just, Duncan, what do you think of this phenomenon? Because for me, and I'm not trying to lead the witness here, you know, and I don't also (laughs) take this as a remake, but you know, I I think remakes and subsequent adaptations are great things that have always existed as part of the rich tapestry of storytelling. So Mm -hmm. I'm all about what Wheatley is doing here, but I guess what I'm asking is, what do you think of Wheatley taking on this remake of Hitchcock's work remake, uh, you know, with quotes, and is there substance to the idea that Wheatley can't escape Hitch's shadow in the same way that our unnamed narrator can't escape Rebecca? And shouldn't we allow Wheatley that escape? 
What, what do you think? I think ultimately, I think when we talk about Wheatley himself, you know, to, to steal something that me and Bo do on Duncan and Bo Come Correct, the first thing that always mm-hmm. springs to mind is the fucking balls on this guy. Like, I mean, like, Hitchcock, <laughs> rightly so, the, uh, Hitchcock is widely regarded as, you know, one of the, if not the greatest filmmaker of all time. He's the, mm-hmm. he's one of those few directors that has, uh, you know, a descriptive term. Hitchcockian is part of the film lexicon when we review things. Yep. Um, like almost any mystery on some level is compared in modern days specifically, but for the best part of from the 60s onwards, uh, we're directly compared to Hitchcock, and that still happens, which is a legacy that has loomed 70 years over cinema. So, I mean, (laughs) and it's difficult to escape. The thing about it is some directors take it as an insult, and some directors take it as a compliment. And... If you are Brian De Palma, for example, that mm. great documentary, the De Palma documentary, where he's just talking frank about his career. And he talks specifically about movies. And uh, interestingly enough, the day we are recording is the day I'm dropping a review of Dress to Kill, which is oh, nice. a movie which, uh, one of my favourite De Palma movies, but is one that is almost universally linked to as Willie Ripsoff's Psycho because of the shower scene you know he rips off cycle because of the reveal of the killer um, and all, all these other things that they throw in there and what is so refreshing <laughs> like when you want if you've never seen this documentary you have to check it out it's just I'm sure it's just called um, it's just the Palma I think is, is what the name of it is and he and okay. while he's getting questioned about it he, he, he laughs and he's like he's like yeah d- d- did I copy Hitchcock well I mean yeah, but Hitchcock is the greatest director that's ever lived. And he did all the mysteries the best he could be. So kind of difficult to do something that doesn't feel like Hitchcock did it first. So, mm. yeah. And it always led me to that feeling that anyone can copy anything. But to Ooh. make something that stands on its own two feet is the challenge and Dress to Kill stands on its like De Palma's record for all the Hitchcock nods and there are tons of them out there his movies stand on their own two feet yes at times the you <laughs> plagiarise him so bad he like, pays heavy homage is what I would say to, to Hitchcock scenes but ultimately you know anyone can do that I can film Exactly, like for like. Oh, here's a great example. The Cycle remake. Is he shot for shot um, on the hitch? Is it as good as Cycle? No. <laughs> I wonder why that is. Because you actually have to be a, a really good filmmaker to make that work. And Gus Van Sant is a great filmmaker. He just yeah. he just had his... He, that movie didn't feel like Gus Van Sant at all. It felt like someone else charting through. Brian De Palma's movies all feel like Brian De Palma's movies. Yes, there are they scenes do. from them that are very much in the Hitchcock vein or, you know, like retellings of Hitchcock stories to an extent, but they're Brian De Palma's spin on them and that's what it is. This movie... It's damned if you do and damned if you don't. Any director that touches this, the fact Rebecca won so many... Like, see if this movie had won... See if the original Rebecca hadn't won Oscars and had been seen as a commercial flop. 
See, Ben mm-hmm. Wheatley tackles this one. No one says a fucking thing. Um, exactly. But because it wins yeah. all the awards and it's, you know, it's Hitchcock, like, using that term peacocking earlier on, but it is on some level. This is like Hitchcock in 1940 where he's he's not having to make Psycho as a gamble to try and be relevant again. This is him at his yeah. height of his power. Like, the guy can do no wrong. He rules no. Hollywood. He's at, he's at his... He's apex of his career at that point um, of just like everything the guy t- the Midas touches in full effect um, that Wheatley is coming into this and I love the fact the sheer resolve is you know yeah Hitchcock did it I'm not doing I'm not doing a remake of the Hitchcock movie I'm going back to the book and in a lot of respects his hands are tied there as well because he didn't this isn't a story or a screenplay that he's had anything to do with so this is him mm-hmm. taking on something else, and I also like to think he's got a bit of quality control there. That he read it, and like interestingly enough, what he'd said in that interview that I was talking about is he misremembered a lot of what had happened in Hitchcock's Re- Rebecca until he watched it again. Mm-hmm. He'd he'd, for, he'd he'd almost purposely changed things in his brain to be like, well, that's how he did it in that movie. I'm not doing it in my movie that way. And then when he watched it back, he was like, oh, well, Hitchcock didn't do it that way at all. Well, I'm, <laughs> I didn't copy it anyway, so that's fine. But, it, like, this movie is shorter by nine minutes than the Hitchcock movie, which, yeah. I, I mean, I love it. I think it's... A, a Rebecca. The original Rebecca is a great movie. It is of its time. It is, like, very dated. Yeah. And it's, it's classic. That's what I've heard. It's classic Hollywood. It's that kind of the golden age classic Hollywood sort of movie and it has a lot of there's a lot of exposition oh my god there's a lot of exposition and the actors can handle that and that's how that movie works lesser actors couldn't handle it what Wheatley does here is he takes he takes the material and what they've done the story writers for this one is they've said well you know it just doesn't feel feasible that someone would you know, travel and travel and travel and travel and travel to get these answers. You'll travel to one person to get, you know, try, like the bit where she's trying to find out whether or not um, Rebecca was pregnant is mm-hmm. a whole protracted, like, hoopla in, you know, the book and in the Hitchcock adaptation where we're just oh, okay. doing a lot of things to, instead of just going straight to the doctor to find out, we're doing a lot of things to get to that doctor. Uh, in this movie, yeah. she just goes to the doctor. And she just I, goes, yeah. yeah. I appreciate that because that's what you do. Um, is that as exciting in a book? Probably not. Um, in a book, sure, you're gonna you're gonna make that journey feel more perilous than than it is, and they kind of do that in here. And that she gets behind the wheel. She's not a great driver. She almost crashes the car a couple of times, and that's that's a bit of peril on the way to get there. But he shortens down these things. So I think you have the purest opinion on this because I don't cool. think okay. when Netflix is remaking Rebecca, what they are aiming for is fans of the original movie. Because, like I said before, that movie is 80 years old. And Netflix demographic are a majority of people that have never seen Rebecca before from the 40s. They just won't have... They won't have sought it out. You know, they'll know... I would like to think they know who Alfred Hitchcock is. um, But they probably don't know Alfred Hitchcock as a director who made movies like that. They probably know him as... The, you know, the thrilling horror director of Psycho, which sadly is how a lot of people come to Hitchcock nowadays, which once again, true. Yeah. not a bad thing, Psycho's a masterpiece, but the dude was doing tons of stuff before that, which are in the genres he's making them, also masterpieces. It's that way of 
you know, it's the way I get worried when people tell me that they'll only watch a horror movie and not watch anything else. I'm like, well, mm. Mm, you know, that's. I mean, I, I love your commitment to the cause, but you're you're basically removing some of the best films ever fucking made by some of the greatest directors who ever lived Indeed. who did horror movies. <laughs> like, you know what I mean, yeah. who did yeah. like Stanley Kubrick's a great example of that. The Shining, like that. If you like The Shining, chances are you're going to love Full Metal Jacket. You're going to love A Clockwork Orange. You're going to, you know, like the, mm, and they're not horror movies, but mm, go and watch them. <laughs> so it's the, it's that it's the, the thing where when Wheatley approaches this. What I love about it is the fact that, because I, I, I use this as an argument, this doesn't feel like a Wheatley movie in so much as the storytelling. This does yeah. feel like a Wheatley movie in so much as it is shot with a, a superhuman level of precision. Um, Nailed it. My yeah, thoughts I mean, exactly. Well it's, said, yeah. It's this is the like this is where Wheatley shines. Um but on top of that, there is a real care to how the story unfolds. Like that like the, Duncan, there's precision in that as well, which I think is Wheatley's bag. Yeah, you just you just pulled that out of my brain. <laughs> I just I love it. The the, the exact way way you said it. And mm. Duncan, I, I gotta ask you something. What what did you think about the relationship? <laughs> that's at the heart of the story here because yeah. man as i'm watching this buddy i was feeling lily james dude i was getting where she was coming from because i sort of have a, a similar experience i'm definitely nothing like manderley it was in a, a small apartment in seattle but mm -hmm. uh, you know i once dated a young woman very briefly whose ex-husband had died mm -hmm. I, I never asked how i don't know what happened but they were high school sweethearts who got married right at like 18 he died a few years later in their early 20s, and then I happened to be the next fellow to court this young woman whose you know, love had been cut short. And it was intimidating to go to her apartment where pictures of this guy oh, are everywhere. Yeah. In some cases, there was like even a little shrine in the corner with candles and like a cross and stuff. And I, I've never <laughs> experienced that before or since. And yeah, it is very much like having a ghost in the house with you in that the living are openly affected by the dead. I remember thinking that like, and this is, this, this isn't a joke <laughs> and I'm not trying to be crass here when I say that there's no feeling quite like, um, you know, making love to a woman who keeps a large portrait of her ex-husband <laughs> hanging over the bed. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I get there and I just look in his eyes. I'm like, ah! But <laughs> so, <laughs> This is not what I signed up uh, for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's an odd thing to digest. And, you know, this girl and I didn't date for very long, partly because of that and some other stuff that she was going through that mm. had nothing to do with that. Some substance abuse stuff I found out about. And I think she needed some time to really take some, you know, for herself. But, you know, much love to her out there. But uh, when you're the fish out of water and you're not native to your surroundings, when you're how would how would you say this when you're at a um a, a massive disadvantage by no fault of your own? Yes. It's a frustrating feeling that I feel Wheatley brilliantly captured here in this movie, and we watch as like you had already said, as Lily James, you know, uh, uh, the our unnamed narrator jumps up in social stature, yep. only to find herself in a space where she's not wanted, nor accepted for who she is. Like her identity does not matter in this story until like the end, yep. and she knows this. She is not stupid. She's well-read. She has been, you know, through her own humiliation to get to this point in her life as, you know, that lady's maid. We're, we're, we're never not rooting for this woman because she's so lovable, I mm -hmm. felt. We admire her zest for the world right away. And I think that's what Maxim de Winter loves about her. But as we, you know, viewers and her both get to know the legend of Rebecca, we slowly get to watch this woman's spark die uh, because of the way this place is haunted. And, you know, on Summer Series... I described the other's 2001 as a ghost story 
from the point of view of the deceased, which is rare in cinema. Mm -hmm. And this is equally rare in that this story has all the hallmarks of a haunted house story without the actual ghost. And I happen to think that's brilliant. And, you know, I mean, are we on the same page here yeah. that this uh, about this relationship and just kind of the way, you know, this is a haunting story just without the, the horror, <laughs> you yeah, know? Well, I think the, I think the, the term, I think it's, it's when we think of the word haunted, it, it you know, always almost goes back to that idea of well it must be something you know for supernatural and i, I mm -hmm. think that's yeah that's certainly one term what one way to use the word haunted but you can be haunted yeah. by your past and that doesn't mean like figuratively you know i mean it doesn't mean like realistically and literally that you know your past is haunting you you know you know like <laughs> it's, it's the, and that's that i i love that idea that you you are haunted by your decisions but you're haunted by your memories like that this house like contains the the summation of the memories of someone who looms so large over it and to then be thrust into that where one what, what you find out very quickly about um Lily James's character is she has no family to begin with so she doesn't have that to lean back on she is you know at the beck and call of Mrs Van Hopper uh, who like I said before is repugnant um, yeah and gosh. you know just really 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 nasty a nasty woman who's constantly talking down she's that line where she's like that we will go to New York and you know when we get there you there's plenty of men and you know all the rest but people that are more at your class and you're just like you're yep. such a fucking bitch um, you're <laughs> such, such a bitch and she revels in the tearing down of, she also like makes an assumption that the reason she's managed to get Maxim interested is that she's basically spread her legs for him, which she oh, hasn't yeah. done. They haven't slept together. Which no, she even goes, "You work fast." Yeah, you like you literally. <laughs> it's those comments which speak more to her as an individual and her class oh. than it does to anything else. Um, yes, but yeah, like all the way through this movie, you're rooting for her. There's like that great line at the end when she successfully not only rises to the the occasion of kind of eventually, you know, firing uh, Mrs. Dan Danvers, but you know, finding the evidence that will acquit her husband. Um, yeah. Although, did she acquit her husband? Mm. We're gonna get to that. Did she actually? Ooh. You know, what I mean, did Rebecca right? accidentally fall off a boat, or did her husband? fucking killer um, because that's a, that's a question that's never answered in this and I'm glad that they don't I'm glad that they leave that but she you know I think regardless she's she's sticking by the man that she loves and he has that great line when they're sitting in the car after you know after the blackmailer tries one last shot at against him and he looks at mm. her and says um, about how much she's changed and that kind of carefree smile and attitude that she had has been beaten out of her, and you know, and the time that they've been uh, at the house, it's just it's gone. The woman that he yeah. that that all the the qualities that attracted him to her to begin with, all the things that she had that she didn't know were like those things that she held as being negative things against her station were the very reasons that Maxim fell in love with her, um, are, you know, are gone. But in some part. Like she's a better character at the end of this. She's self-assured. Yeah. She has confidence. She's fucking like razor sharp with with her her intellect. I mean, she basically cracks the yes. case. Um, and she she has strengthened her convictions, which sadly she's had to go through all this 
to get to, which is why at the very end of the movie, when they're in Cairo, um, and she's she, you're flipping through the photos of them as a couple, she's happy in those photographs. That smile is back. Um, it is. Which oh, I love I, it. Yeah, which I which I love. She's like they've had to get through that to to almost bury the ghost of Rebecca. Um, which I mean is isn't it's in the house in terms of like her trinkets are still there, her ornaments, and the, you know our, our bedroom has never changed. But it's also in the way that people, the way people talk about her, is what is essentially perpetuating her presence loom large, the way that Mrs Danvers constantly brings everything back the way that the, the grandmother who's visiting you know like doesn't appear to recognise the new wife and let alone accept the fact that you know Rebecca has died the way that our party like you mentioned earlier on is compared to how Rebecca did it, um, all these things are, it's not just and I think it's how we deal with the passing of someone in general or the or the change of a, a phase as human beings to something else like the beginning of a new chapter Ooh. people yeah. around you will always their memory will you know dictate conversations and meetings that you have afterwards and I know people that have you know like friends who have like loved ones that have passed away and when I see them for the first couple of years like conversation inevitably goes to you know very sorry to hear about the past of like even those when you've not seen them very mm-hmm. sorry I heard that your your mum passed away a couple of years ago very sorry to hear that you know these sort of things come up in conversation which is basically digging back up that memory every single yep. time so I think like what's interesting about this one is there's a healthy way to deal with that and there's an unhealthy way to deal with it which is Mrs Danvers was in love oh. with Rebecca clearly yeah in love with Rebecca but not only that um, Maxim was not in love with Rebecca it sounds like he was emotionally blackmailed into staying with her and she had that power I want to talk more about this in just a second but I have to I have to bounce off you for for something you you said here Mm. and it it is how poetic is it that it is the fire the burning of Manderley (laughs) that is essentially the purging of Rebecca's spirit, if you will. Yeah. How many times in the horror genre have we seen the characters, you know, burn the the bones? If you've watched any episodes of Supernatural, you've yeah. seen it at least a several several dozen times where they'll they'll burn the remains of the ghost that's haunting the situation and that puts it at yeah, rest. Fire cleanses. You know, it destroys it. Yeah. Fire and, and, and fire cleanses yeah. this situation. And I, I love that you you said that. But then now, now let's let's go into this twist here if you will because <laughs> i i, I want to see if i properly understood something um that the, the so okay one thing that duncan i was so surprised mm-hmm. the ever living the ever living hell out of me was surprised uh out of me rather uh was the reveal that you know max mr de winter's behavior this entire time isn't due to his grief and infatuation with his late wife, but rather his hatred of her. Guilt so while the rest of the world potentially guilt at murdering her because it's never oh, well, and and, and this is what I want to get into. And so while the rest of the world has nothing but adoration for Rebecca, he's the only one who understood her cruelty mm-hmm. and was the only one who knew that she wasn't who everyone thought she was. Like she openly cheats on him, makes his life a living hell. You're talking about this blackmail angle. So when he decides, now now let me see if I have this right. Okay, yeah. so he decides. All right. Fuck this bitch. I'm going to sabotage her boat. But then we find out, I, do I have this right, Duncan, that she was going to secretly, whether or not he sabotaged that boat, which he did, uh, but <laughs> that aside, independent of that, she was going to use that boat 
because she had some secrets and was going to go commit suicide on that. Yeah. Uh, like, because we you know we find you know, we see these layers in the story unfold, and turns out you know oh shoot Rebecca you know had some cancer. Cameron probably as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. It didn't want to be seen, probably and remembered, wasting away. So I I I'm, if I understood the story correctly, it was kind of like oh she was going to go out on that boat to kill herself, but it just so happened that sure it would have worked, but it also. It, you know, Max didn't know that and was going to make sure that that boat ride was her last, even though she kind of already decided that it was going to be her last. Did I, did I get yeah, that right? Pretty much because like <laughs> okay. what's, if, if we take Maximum as, as being a reliable witness here. And, and I think I do. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I think yeah. when he spells out how miserable his life was, with her i think he's i think at that point he's being honest with her um yes. i think the way he's, he does openly say you know oh she, she like she pushed me to the edge so much so that like she even told her like she even like, literally he had a gun and you, she literally told him to shoot her and i think that's because she knows she's dying and she wants to you know like mm-hmm. as one last way to basically fuck over her inept useless husband who she yeah. is you know, like, you know that 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 way you know where she's getting vindictive the best he can do is sabotage the boat which ultimately because her useless husband wouldn't kill her um, and put yeah. her out of her misery she's going to kill herself on anyway so like the the fact that like when the original body is dragged from the water not the one that we see the one that yeah. found before the one they buried yeah, yeah. Uh, and he identifies her as being correct when I would imagine you would know <laughs> like, I well, imagine sure. you, you would know if that was your wife or not um, that speaks to specifically his guilt and probably his involvement in the murder and then as the movie moves along it kind of kind of goes that way so it depends how you want to look at it if sure. I if I have set up something uh, a scenario to kill myself um, and you accidentally trigger something that I was going to do anyway and the end result is the same thing. Is it murder or is it suicide? <laughs> that is a fantastic question. I think that's what makes this such a kind of fun, morally gray yeah. event in the movie because mm-hmm. you, you spelled it out perfectly. It's like, I think it'd be like, all right, I, I made myself some poison soup and I'm starting to eat it. And then you come and blow me away with a shotgun. It's like, wait, did, wait, did you put the poison in that? No, no, he was doing that himself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Duncan it's, just happened to kill Watson for other reasons. Uh, <laughs> we get that as well from the point of view of specifically Mrs. Danvers, because Mrs. Danvers is mm-hmm. of the opinion at the end she was murdered. You yeah. know, he, he murdered her because he she can't accept... She sees Rebecca for the character that she knew, which is this, you know, loving, manipulative person that she didn't know about the full level of the manipulation. Uh, yeah. And yeah. from the perspective of the new Mrs. De Winter, um, you know, Lily James, specifically through army hammer she's looking at it from the point of view well you know i've like because army hammer up until the point that he finds out that she's got cancer which isn't until he's acquitted and essentially released from prison um so he doesn't know that she's got fucking cancer that's why the guilt lies heavy on him but then when it's revealed that she had cancer uh that's when he's suddenly like oh right (laughs) <laughs> like you know, right? Whoo! <laughs> Almost going to happen that way. Yay! Um, so it's, it's it's those two sides, which I think 
it's one of the, the cool, it's the mystery aspect of the movie, essentially, is, you know, what mm. happened to her. And it comes out much later in the story. You know, the, 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 bod, up until the point that her body's actually found for real, um, yes. she's just a, a presence that looms large over the property, where it changes, you know, makes a, a turn about the hour 20 mark in the movie, um, when the body's, like, actually recovered. And then it becomes a... Uh, well, who is this man I've married? Is he capable of doing that? Why would he murder his wife? Um, or did she actually commit suicide? You know, and, and all these things become the, the, the mystery aspect, which I think the interesting thing about it is Rebecca's a two-hour and one-minute movie that does not yeah. feel like a two-hour, one-minute movie. This feels like, mm. like when I was watching it, I was actually surprised at the length when it finished. Because um, to me, it felt like a bit, you know, it felt like a comfy hour and 40 to me, it didn't feel like it overstayed yeah. its welcome. And there's a lot of scenery shots and exotic locations and all these things that you would tend to associate with, well, this is a longer form movie. So it doesn't have that. And I think that's really interesting. The negative aspect I want to turn on to, and it's only my only real negative aspect with the movie overall, is that lack of voice that we associate with Wheatley. The technique mm. is there for sure. The skill, the precision, the ability to get actors to really turn in incredible performances. Because this, once again, is a movie that has not one bad performance in it. Like, everyone is no. fucking great. Um, yes. And, you know, it has it had, like, the colour correction, what you were mentioning, it's fucking gorgeous to look at. Absolutely gorgeous. But because Amy Jump's not behind the story or behind the script, this... Mm from a kind of storytelling point of view, doesn't feel like a Wheatley movie. And that's not on him, but, you know, that's on the, the story that's there. Um, and I think that's quite interesting in that if I, did not, if I didn't know who directed this movie and you played it for me, I don't know if I would know if Ben Wheatley had directed this. However, I think if you play Free Fire for me or High Rise for me, mm-hmm. I would 100% know, even if I didn't know Ben Wheatley, ben Wheatley had done it, that Ben Wheatley had directed it. And that's what inter- and it suddenly dawned on me how much of the Wheatley I know and we have covered in our, our journey through Opera Omnia is the unspoken hero that we never we mentioned but never fully touched upon in any great depth, which I think is his partner, Amy Jump, um, mm-hmm. who I think is intrinsically linked to all... A lot of the, the plus points we've mentioned and a lot of those reviews, her being absent in this project, I think highlights that Wheatley is still an incredible director regardless, but a lot of those elements that we double down on... Um, like in, in the way the stories unfold and, you know, the, the way that characters' motivations are revealed in, in interesting ways or subjectively interesting ways are absent in Rebecca because Amy Jump isn't there. And it just it solidifies to me, one, she's a fucking incredible scriptwriter. <laughs> like, just like really, really, really good. But two, what got me excited about it, so that's the negative aspect, but the positive that comes off that negative is... I've now seen Wheatley do uh, someone else's script and he can do it. He can yeah. do it really, 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 really well, which means like like Guillermo del Toro can do 
he can for a while there he was doing the one for you Hollywood and one for me like what's yep. that you want me to do mimic right I will do mimic for you but I will do the devil's backbone for me and they were like okay that sounds mm-hmm. like a fair trade because that movie cost a lot less than this movie here and he's like right cool cool right well I will do Hellboy for you <laughs> or, or Blade yeah. 2 for you <laughs> and I will do Pan's Labyrinth for me and that sort yeah. of uh, you know what I mean the kind of trade off so to speak where you get the this is one for the studio but this is my passion project and I think Wheatley could exist very fucking comfortably in that system and I think oh, that's yes. what, yeah, I think that's what we're going to see. He's got that Netflix money. Yeah. He's done that Netflix movie. He's got a couple of bigger projects on the horizon. What did he do with his free time? He went right back to his roots. Went right back to doing a little, little horror movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right in the woods. I'm going back into the, the the lush scenery of England. I'm going to get actors that I have worked with in projects before, and I'm going to go right back to my roots to do a horror movie. And that's how I know he hasn't sold out. That's and it's the same. Yeah, with, you know, the same with him, like Shyamalan. They had the same conversation with Shyamalan, where they ooh, were like, "Well, look at example. him. You know, he's, he's he's off doing the last Airbender and that movie where Will Smith can't feel anything. Was it After Earth or whatever it was called? Um, oh, that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That movie that we'll try and erase from from recollection because um, <laughs> it's, it's a hard it's a hard movie to watch where you want to feel something for characters whose conceit throughout the entire movie is don't feel anything. It's really, uh-huh. really fucking difficult. Really, really difficult. But you know, like everyone was like, "Well, oh, look at him. He's, he, 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 you know, he's like Icarus. He flew so clo- close to the the sun that he's wax melted on his yeah. wing shoes." And look at him crash to earth now. What did he go and do? He went and did the visit, which is he right back to basics twist horror movie. Mm-hmm. And then guess what? Right after that, he did a little movie called Split, and that was Rob right back Split. to you know what I mean? And but he's he is very much just he's he's done it he's went out he's done he did the Hollywood thing for a while and he's found his niche back doing the Blumhouse stuff and he's done a bit of TV now and he seems happier than he's ever been and what's really really interesting about it is how quickly people gravitate right back to him and it's because I think when director you either fold completely and you you know you crumble and you disappear are you go back to the skills you learned that made you the filmmaker you are and I think that's what he did with that and I think Wheatley hasn't crumbled but I also think that if it ever does happen and when it happens and let's be honest the movie is likely to happen on is the Meg too uh, because mm-hmm. I get a feeling he's going to have to battle a lot if he even ends up making that movie I think like that's oh, sure. a movie that you know from, from day one you're going to have producers saying nope <laughs> that's not happening. Oh, no, yeah. you're not getting that. Nope, that's you know, like this is this is franchise time. So you know, suck it up, big boy. I think weirdly of the yep. movies that he was announced with, the Tomb Raider one excites me more because I imagine like a jungle action movie and Wheatley directing that, and I'm like, yeah, like with with fucking cannibal tribes or something like that. Yeah, give that. That's that's a Wheatley movie, <laughs> right? That's a Wheatley movie. Uh-oh. I want to watch. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. Um, if we if we can get. Uh, if we can get some some um, of his former... If we can get Michael Smiley in one of those movies, I will be over the fucking moon. Please. Like, yeah, just yes. get, get him in there, please. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, like, if we, if we have those things like that, but he's still, he's still, you know what, I'm going to make this little indie movie out in the woods and all the rest. I'm excited about that. And like I see, so the only negative I have about Rebecca is it wasn't written by Amy Jump. But at the same time, if I want Ben Wheatley to continue being like an interesting voice in cinema and you know making bigger movies and bettering his skills 
I have to accept that he's not always going to be. He's not Tarantino, you know. Tarantino writes all his own movies. And, you know, that's, yeah, yeah. You know, that's that, that's the package that you pay for. Ben Wheatley's not that guy. Uh, ben Wheatley is first and foremost a really interesting director, and he, he shows it specifically in Rebecca. Not only really interesting, but hugely successful and competent in what he does. Um, and yeah, we will get another Amy Jump, uh, Ben Wheatley production sometime soon and I, I'm very much looking forward to that but there's no doubt in my mind he puts his own stamp on Rebecca is it I mean is this movie ever going to win an Oscar no um, but that's fine the original Rebecca won Oscars because it was 1940 and I think there was maybe seven movies released that year you know what I mean yeah, right. so and it was it was Hitchcock and Hitchcock was infinitely better than any director walking the planet in oh, 1940 yeah. This Sir is, Lawrence Olivier, I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're like, you're, you're bit, it would be like, I'm making Rebecca. Tom Hanks is going to play the Army Hammer. Like, there's an Oscar coming that way. You know what I mean? It's that level. <laughs> it's, you know, it's that, it's that sort of level. So, I, I, but I also think that what he's done is he's, he's made his Rebecca in a lot of respects. Just the way it looks, the way it's shot, um, the, his choice of composer, all those things are Wheatley decisions. The story's not a Wheatley story. But, no, it isn't. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. That's that's my only negative. But like I say, it's and, and not a negative. If I, if I want him to continue making movies, Duncan, it was well said there, buddy. As you were talking, I was trying to think of anything I could say that could push back against that. But the thing is, and I, I you know, I, folks, this is this is. I swear to God, I, I completely agree. Hmm. I there were points, Duncan, where I was watching the movie and had gotten engrossed enough in the story to the point where I completely forgot that this was a Wheatley movie. In fact, mm-hmm. as it was ending and then his name came up, I, I literally was like, oh yeah. <laughs> right? That's why this I'm watching this movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, but what you said about score and camera work and such things, th- those are Wheatley stamps. That, and that's why when I was talking about filmmaking there at the start and how I felt that this was his the best example of his talents yet that's why i did i did specifically say technically speaking yes it, because i don't feel you know there's the yeah there are points of dread here mm-hmm. and but the thing is this isn't the wheatley story that we know that yes amy jump is is always front row center right there creating those Wheatleyisms for us in the narrative mm-hmm. that's her uh and him but you know i mean i would say she probably spearheads that while he worries about all the other stuff that you know comes with directing mm-hmm. but you you said it so well and i i can only back that i was often going oh yeah okay yeah wheatley that's right yeah and the score <laughs> definitely helped but it was just as i'm watching this i kept forgetting and i kept thinking okay i own the, the you know the 1940 you know version uh, adaptation of this and and the book and i can't wait to get to these and i was just mm-hmm. focused on these other elements than wheatley and so that's why it, that being in the back of my head is kind of the big i guess negative here that there it, this when, I, when you watch Kill List, you are like Wheatley, Wheatley, Wheatley. You know, you are you are <laughs> yeah. feeling it. It is there in every scene, mm-hmm. not here. And no. so I, I'm complete. I'm, yeah, 100% D-Dog. Yeah, <laughs> D-Dog. I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. So, so I, I think that brings us to, and I think we've answered it. I think we both have answered it here. You, we're going to always have to come back to it. The, the, the conceit mm-hmm. of this show is that we essentially order the favourite Wheatley movie. Uh, it's the one that rules on top of the list. It is the Highlander of this series. There can be only one. And it was Kill List 
basically walking into this episode as well for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is Kill List still the best one, or did Re- Rebecca dethrone it? Mr. McLeish, Kill List reigns supreme yet again. Yes. As, <laughs> How about I, for you? Yeah, as, as never, like he, that's why I'm excited about next year's, like, In the Woods, like, <laughs> like horror movie because I'm like oh, oh this is sweetly unchained like all bets are fucking off uh, I hope yeah. it's gnarly I hope it's psychedelic I hope it's an absolutely dread and I, I, I like if I am not like two seconds away from shitting my pants all the way through the movie <laughs> I I will not be happy and I know he's still got it in him like I, I, I like there's something about him that just makes me think he's you know He's a, he's a wildly interesting director, and Rebecca shows that. I think it still does. It's not. I don't think it sits towards the top level of films if I was ranking them based on my enjoyment. Um, but mm-hmm. if we were talking about like technical ability, I think it's probably the top. I think it's his most technically yep. accomplished movie by yes. by quite well. Maybe, beside Free Fire, I think is re- or High Rise. Mm-hmm. I think those three movies show a marked kind of like look I, I'm you know I can do this shit look at me <laughs> like let, just drink <laughs> drink it in ladies and gents uh, this is the weekly yep. show um, but Rebecca's it, on a technical level it's just operating at such a high high level like I say it's one of the most beautifully shot movies I've seen this year just this like the choice of locations the cinematography um, the colour correction work uh, the, the use of you know, like, even towards the end that like and one of the more harrowing scenes here where Mrs. Danvers essentially burns the buildings down and then commits suicide. That scene is so beautifully shot in this, the the, the blues yeah. and the blacks and the navy colours and all the rest and she's wearing her black dress and like it's just like you could take a screenshot of that and have that as a poster and it would look fucking gorgeous. And that to me is, mm-hmm. that is the gift that Wheatley brings is like his attention to like compositions of shots of scenery in the background with characters in the forefront uh, I think is is like always the bit that just it gets me excited and yeah but Kill List is just Kill List is what happens when you get all that plus you get like the gnarliness <laughs> like, the gnarliness <laughs> yeah, that Amy Jump going right just strap yourselves in you're in for a ride ladies and gents and Rebecca's <laughs> never going to be that but I will no, be interested no. to hear from you once you've watched the Hitchcock one is it's to me it's a Sunday afternoon big old bowl of popcorn sitting Mm. down watch some classic cinema and just remember that there was a time in Hollywood where movies were magical like and it was like it was a magician showing you like a magic trick how you didn't know how it was done uh, and back in those days people didn't know how it was done sadly now we know how everything's done <laughs> you do yep. a green pulled, pulled back the curtain <laughs> yeah and there's something magical about going back to those movies and trying to put yourself in a, a simpler time um, but it's an no, incredible no. movie the book is a really interesting one as well weirdly enough the book is actually of the three adaptations is the one that leans most into the horror aspects of the oh, is that right? itself okay. without it being a ghost there's just the tension that the, the, the book builds um, is yeah. very melodramatic as well at times and a bit flowery with its language but um, it's a really interesting read as well I can see why it is has been so compelling enough to spawn three adaptations 
um, yeah. of, of different measures. So, yeah, oh, cool. dude, I I cannot express how excited I am that one we're back doing this. Uh, it yes. always always makes me a happy camper when we get a chance to chat. It makes me even <laughs> happier when we're chatting about weekly. Um, you have taken a small hiatus from from doing some stuff, uh, but you are coming back in force this month with mm-hmm. various different mm-hmm. appearances out with Opera Omnia. So this is the bit where you get to plug your wear source. So have at it. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, if you're listening to this right now, it means you're no bitch. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it means it means you you derive value from from what Duncan does here, his exquisite work. And if you do indeed get something from Duncan's podcasting endeavors, then look, you're going to need. All right. You're going to mm-hmm. be you deserve to listen to my shows and be a part of my audience. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, there we go. No, here, look, here's what you can do to, to jump aboard that shit because let's face it, you, you need it and you want it. So you want high quality film analysis. You want high end production. You want your cake and you want to eat that shit too. Well, here's what you do. Get on your podcast catching app, type in W A T Z E E. My show is called the Watzy party horror show. And once again, you search W A T Z E E. That's all that's going to come up. I host Watsy with my good buddy, Dave Z of exploding heads fame. Many of you are going to know that gentleman. Mm-hmm. And we have a monthly three act show that deserves your subscription. In act one of that show, we go over the month's horror movie releases In act two, we tackle a horror related topic of discussion. And then in act three, we review a horror movie of our choosing. So Dave and I crafted the exact type of show we want to hear. And you're going to want to get in on that because we're humble as fuck. And the show is better than whatever your favorite podcast is. So listen the fuck up. No, I'm kidding. I'm I'm Scott. Never in this way, Duncan. (laughs) I'm never this way. No, stop being a peasant and upgrade yourself (laughs) to the Wathy Party Horror Show. All right. No, (laughs) I haven't even been drinking. No, but uh, I've got another project in the works as well. So yes, folks, that's the Z Party Horror Show. Mr. Watts and Dave Z. We have a lot of fun over there. We'd really would. All this joking aside, we really would love to have you. I've got another project in the works that I believe, what's the date, Duncan? It's the 6th. I'm not allowed to talk about it just yet, but I'm stoked because it will be launching in the beginning of January, right after the new year. And it's one of those projects where I don't have a lot of responsibility. So that (laughs) makes it easy for me to do it. And it's kind of shorter form, but I'm going to be part of kind of a dream team that I've never worked with these people to this capacity before. So in this capacity before, it's going to be very interesting and it's going to be often too, which I think I, everybody always knows who follows my work. Oh, he pops up here and there. Mm. Uh, This is going to be something where it's, it's going to be a lot more often than I think I'm even comfortable with, but we'll see how it goes. (laughs) I can't wait. Uh, Duncan, my, my gosh, man, Opera Omnia here, folks, the return of season one. And I think you're going to be season one is going to be popping up a lot over the, you know, over the, the coming uh, months and, mm-hmm. you know, years and whatnot. But Duncan, as always, buddy, it is <laughs> a joy to podcast with you. I sit here with a stupid ass smile on my face the entire time. You're not only someone and the listeners know this, but, you know, you're not only someone I respect balls deeply. You're <laughs> also someone who's worked so hard to do what you do and it, it's just such so encouraging to the rest of us who see your work ethic and go, man, that is how they do it. You're pure dead brilliance, as they say in Scotstown. <laughs> oh, You're a Scottish wonder, sir. <laughs> oh, I love yes. you, man, and I, I, I love it every time we get to share the mic. Buddy, this has been great. Thank you for having me back on Opera Omnia once again, dude. 
Oh man, oh you've you've made my fucking year. Pure dead brilliant. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yes, um like like you say, and like I said, we will be back there is a weekly movie next year, so it will be getting covered as soon as we can get our grubby paws on it. Um so you will be back for that. You are of course gonna be back on Podcast Under the Stairs, the flagship show, um on the other channel. Uh, you know, I would imagine before the summer series kicks off, but certainly oh, yeah. when that summer series kicks off, uh, which will I'll be. I'll find a my way down the stairs or which, under them rather yeah. soon. I'll, I'll we'll find a way. Yeah, life finds a way, as Jeff Goldblum keeps telling us. That it does with that rice smile and that sexy shaved chest. Oh, I don't know where we're going with this, uh, but yeah, it's always my pleasure chatting to you, buddy. And um, yeah, this once again concludes season one. For the time being, and no season ever really finishes when directors are still putting out work. And for Opera Omnia, the rest of this month, you are getting another two episodes before the end of the year um, with the last two Peter Strickland movies for season two, when we look at the what can only be described as jaw-droppingly amazing Euro sex movie <laughs> in the Duke of Burgundy <laughs> and then his A24 debut and in, in Fabric a movie which like when I saw I was like this is why cinema exists so yes. yeah check out them as well obviously check out everything that Watson's on the dude is it's a legend and rightly so um, and we are going to jump out here before we literally tug each other off which I feel is the next step after all the compliments it's like, it's like, it's like the, the listeners are just like just fuck and get over and done yeah, just, with right and um, yeah, I'm not going to say you know. it's never going to happen I'm just saying it's just not happening right now uh, right, right now not right now yeah. <laughs> until the next time we come back with season one in 2021 uh, I'm going to say goodbye to you listeners and take care Speak to you all next time.